book is just laden with just incestual relationships everywhere across all generations. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast. It is lucky number seven this week. Uh, in this episode, we are talking about 100 Years of Solitude by Gabrielle Garcia Marquez. Uh, I'm still Ryan, and with me is still Jacob. What's going on? Hello. That was to you. Oh, to the, I, I know. And I was to everyone. To that was just, it was a very general rhetorical what's going on. But no, hello. Welcome. Episode seven, Better the Bookshelf, lucky number seven. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about this week because we got a, uh, we got a pretty, pretty lofty, it's a hefty know, book. It's, 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 uh, it, it comes with a lot of, uh. I, I would say baggage is the wrong word, but it comes with a lot of weight just because it's so highly regarded, almost universally. I mean, there are yeah. people that, and we'll get into that later in the episode, but, you know, this was this was an enjoyable read, if not just for the sake of reading it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so if you haven't read the book, speaking of, uh, of not reading... Um, Spoilers. Yeah, you definitely should probably read this because... Uh, this conversation's not going to make a lot of sense to you if you don't. It might not make sense even if you have read it. Uh, that's also true. That's that's also a possibility. Uh, so what are we doing in this episode? So, yeah, per our tradition, we'll give you a little brief summary, talk a little bit about the author, and then we'll get into the meat of our discussion, which we don't really like to sort of break down or do any analysis or anything heavy like that. We're just more of uh, we kind of want to bounce some ideas off each other that we thought while reading this book, maybe some questions that we thought of. Uh, And then at the end, we'll give you our patented, super patented, copyrighted, trademarked rating system in which we'll recommend this book to you. And if so, where would we place it on our own imaginary three-tiered bookshelf? So that's kind of the gist of it. And then, of course, at the end, we'll tell you what we've got in store for next week and uh, maybe even the week after that. So... I think uh, I think we should get into it. Let's do this. Let's let's jump straight into it. Um, so let's let's talk about uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez first. Oh, even before the summary. Yeah, I just I feel like uh, all right. Let's do it. I feel like switching it up a bit. Today. Okay. Um, plus, I, I I have my notes pulled up, and I just want to clear out my uh, my workspace. So anyway, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez was born in uh, 1927, died uh, in 2014. He is uh, or was eh, he is Colombian, um, definitely a well-known uh, writer, won the uh, the Pulitzer, right? No, or Nobel. Sorry, in in literature. Um, he won a Neustadt International Prize for Literature, which I should probably know what that is. Uh, it, yeah, this is your wheelhouse. It's actually over it's here technically nodding. Neustadt, so I can tell you it's German, uh, at least in origin. Um, but uh, definitely not. It's sponsored by the University of Oklahoma. I wow, could not have been more wrong. So, uh, any rate, this is a, this is this is a great way to start this. Yeah. Um, if you want to know about Gabriel Garcia Marquez, uh, suggest you go to www.google.com. Just punch that in there. Uh, but seriously, uh, important writer, um, especially in, in Latin American, um, literature. And, um, we'll talk a little bit more about the we'll whole talk like, about magical, magical realism. realism. Yeah. yeah. But he was a uh, big kind of force in that yep. in the, in the fifties and sixties and even beyond. 
just sort of that sort of I've seen because I, I, I wanted to get a little bit of, of information on him as well. And you had this sort of Latin American uh, writing sort of surge in this style in the 60s and 70s. And he was a big sort of force behind that. So obviously one of the more influential writers that we've uh, we've read their work on the show. So, yeah, it was definitely like I said, coming into this book. You know, it was a lot of things sort of stacked up that it's like, okay, you know, this is going to be kind of a big book that we should sort of read and digest and all of that. So, yeah. Uh, and it was. So, it was. Help us digest it a bit. Uh, I, I'd like to hear your, your summary. Which summary do you? I have two summaries here. We've got summary number one and summary number two. No background, just summary one or summary two. Which would you prefer to hear? Uh, I'm going to have summary number two just because I feel like. Uh, after you got the first one out of the way, you probably polished the second one up a bit. Uh, you picked the good one. So okay. 100 Years of Solitude is the story of a family who for 100 years did everything they could to prevent themselves from having a son with a pig's tail. And in doing so, and because of their very effort, they end up having a son with a pig's tail at the very end. Yeah, wow. It's a wait, pretty wait, wait, apt wait. summary, I think. It encompasses every, it. every generation, every aspect of the story. All joking aside, it's a very, uh, you know, let me give you a real summary. How about that? Okay. 100 Years of Solitude. It's the story of the Buendia family in the fictional town of Macondo. Uh, it encompasses seven generations of the family, so 100 years plus. Yeah. Uh, and their exposure along with their town to the outside world. Yeah, that's probably a bit more apt summary. But even then, like, I, I feel like this is a book that is not easily summarized. Matter of fact... Not that I like. I feel like I have the energy to do it, but this is probably our first book that we could genuinely spend multiple episodes on, sure, and like only begin to scratch the surface of I, I, some I, of the things that are in here. I'll agree with that. Yeah, having a throwing away, you know, having a throwaway two or three line summary for this doesn't really do it justice to kind of the ideas and the events that are, that happen and are presented in the book. So yeah, let's. Let's unless you have something else, let's just get into it. Let's just let's get in it. with our with kind of our initial thoughts. So I I when I came in here to record, like a, we kind of talked about a little bit in the pre-show. Yeah. Was that this was gonna be one of those books that I think that um we were either both like on the same page about because we both kind of have we we have a lot of crossover yeah. in terms of the the things that we look for in stories, seemingly that I've kind of interpreted now through yeah. This being our seventh episode, there are kind of similarities in the things we look for and in, in the works that we read. So I thought, okay, we're going to come in and kind of be on the same page about this. Or there's a chance that like we, because this book has a lot of things that you can kind of grab onto and that sort of propels you into one way of thinking about the book or the other. Or I thought we were going to be completely opposite. And this was going to yeah. be the first book that we we're just like, you're wrong. I hate you. You're dead to me. I'm still waiting for that book because um, I don't yeah, think this I don't, was it. I, I think it, although I don't think there's ever going to be something that sort of pulling us that far in, in other directions. But I think yeah. that I was actually surprised because I think we are a little bit different in our views on this book. I think mm -hmm. that you uh, enjoyed it a little bit more than I did, or maybe yeah. um, you appreciated it and, and we can get into kind of our own individual views, but I'm going to, I'm going to start off by saying this is a book that I appreciated, not necessarily one I enjoyed. Okay. And what that means to me is as I've said before previously, a big factor in kind of my enjoyment and what I get out of reading is I like to be involved. I like to I like to have characters and I like to sort of, you know, be invested in, in, in their lives and, and kind of their actions mm -hmm. and, you know, be moved by by their development and, and, and sort of the arcs that happen. 
And this is a story that doesn't really lend itself to that because of the kind of the scope of what the story is trying to say in, you know, 400 some odd pages, you know, characters are introduced and killed off. And these are, you know, key components to stories. And there's no real, you know, there's no real dialogue. You know, there's very little. It's very minimalist in that. It's very much told kind of as a overarching sort of grand Mm -hmm. external story, which is interesting and I can appreciate a lot of the things that he, that, that are being told in the story, but it's not something that I, I don't know that I could really attach to and, and relate to and give me this sort of, you know, desire to read it again and to, to really feel this connection to the book, you know, after I've read it, it's a book that certainly made me think long after. And as I talked about earlier, it's, it's the first book that I, you know, I, I went to sleep after reading and I actually (laughs) had a dream about it and it, it didn't feel out of place because a lot of the magical realism in this book you know, we can talk about this. In yeah, a little hang bit. on to that thought. It, very sort of dreamlike in its approach, but um, I don't know. It's I, it, it is tough. It's I, I would say that I appreciated it, but not necessarily that I enjoyed it. Okay, that that's kind of my stance on the book. I I, I enjoyed it. Um, I I liked just if it, when when I sort of stepped back and thought about the book in its entirety, the ability to go through seven generations of of people and to have these sort of like sub generations you know where you had aunts and nephews you know commingling and uh you had the you know these these weird things going on um it's a lot of um a lot of time and relationships to to put in a in a single book and you know i thought it was i thought it was really marvelous like you know how he was able to do that by the same token, um, you know, I would describe this this book as like breathless. Like there were not pauses ever in this book, sure. and that is that is my by far the most frustrating thing about reading this was that there were never there was never a great place to stop. I frequently stopped like in the middle of of things, and um, you know, even paragraphs were giant chunks of text. Mm-hmm. Um, but really just the narrative itself never ceased. There was never any sort of um, like pacing, you know, like you sort of have these movements in in a lot of uh, books, right, where things sometimes happen really, really quickly and then they slow sure, you down. Have like you, you sort of you have know, like, like a traditional yeah. setup where you kind yeah. of have infor- introduction and then kind of conflict and resolution, whereas this book was just everything all at once. It was just, time. yeah, it was kind yeah. of it was kind of word vomit. And I hate to say that because like, you know, it's it's. Uh, there's really nothing atrocious about the the way the story was told or or anything like that, but it was exhausting the the way that that he chose to to tell it, um, you know, which I think plays into some of the themes of the of the book and stuff like that. But um, I actually completely disagree with with the whole character thing. Um, yeah, there wasn't a lot of dialogue, um, you know, but when you when you think about the number of of people in here, and you know, if you look at your family tree, like you know, you start to like pull out pieces of information like there was a lot of things in here a lot of detail that you know I thought was just it was marvelous like I can't even imagine uh what it took not only to create this this family in this town but um there's just a microcosm of some of these relationships and the and the details of how people spent their time and you know what they were thinking like it was just it was nuts I would say the the, the pacing was exhausting and I sort of felt like we could have cut back on generations. I know it's it's a hundred years of solitude, sure. so there had to be, you know, a hundred years in there. But 
Um, by the time we got down to the the last, uh, was it Aureliano Segundo and Jose Arcadio Segundo? Yeah, so that's Generation 5. Yeah, I was done. <laughs> like, I was, my brain was like, I can't do and this How much anymore. do you attribute that to just sort of the scope of the generations, or how much do you attribute that to sort of the deliberate idea of how the characters were named? Because I think a lot of that exhaustive that- nature of of why I was less attached. Like yep. early on, you know, you have, you know, Jose Arcadia Buendia and you're kind of like, okay, you're very, it's the story is very kind of centralized yeah. on, on, on him and Ursula and this town and, and sort of that early development. And you did have, you yep. did have somewhat character development there. And throughout the entirety of the story, those were always the two that I always, while they were still in the story that I kind of related to and went back to, but sort of as you sort of delineated down in the generations, it's not so much the scope that it just had so many people. It's sort of the deliberate approach to how the characters are named and sort of yep. the idea of of time and just this the sort of traits that are passed on to that, each character that, that, that is named. To, that yeah. it made it, it for me, it made it really difficult to um I don't know, to invest in them because at a lot of times you're not exactly sure which who is doing what. Uh, right. Which yeah, th- I think that's what I found exhausting because yeah, like I never could picture like there's supposed to be an archetype for uh, like within this book of like what an Arcadio and an Aureliano is is supposed to be. Yeah. But like in my mind's eye, I could never picture either of those things. And then, you know, once you started getting into, you know, like the twins switching potentially and like, you know, who's who, who's tall and, and masculine, like, you know, who's who's not quite as big, like. I just I had such a hard time keeping people straight. Yeah. And I mean, again, that's sort of a, a device in the whole book, right? Like this sort of circularity of of, uh, you know, things that happen to generation after generation. So, yeah, I, I get I get why. Well, plus, obviously, there's a cultural thing, right? So like in, in Latin American culture, like you pass your names down, you know, differently. So you have a lot more of, you know, like what we would have, you know, senior, junior, you know, second, third, sure, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, there's, there's just some cultural part of that, but yeah, had they been named something very distinctly different, I think it, I would have, it would have made for a little bit more, uh, you could like go back in your mind after the fact and go like, Oh yeah, that, that one event you could, you could say it's unique to a specific character. A lot of times I found myself kind of having to go back in the book and confirm that it was this generation that did this. And, you know, yeah, yeah that I, I think that lended itself to a little bit, uh, you know, again, the intended purpose, I, at least I felt like the intended purpose was to kind of sort of uh, elevate this idea that you sort of have this repetition in history and it's sort of imbued in you, you know, your name, your trait. Yep. You, there's this sort of cyclical thing that's that's seemingly inescapable. You know, the idea, one of the themes, at least it seemed to me, the idea, you know, is not viewing time as kind of a progression, a linear sort of expanse onward is that, sure. you know, it's, it's very cyclical and we see it at the end with, uh, with the journals when you finally see it, that it's kind of like this whole story has already been, you know, it's Told. already happened yeah. yeah, and it's just happening again and again and again. And so, you know, with the yep. destruction of the town and seemingly everything, you know, potentially being a, you know, a rebirth of something that had happened previously. So, yeah. Well, and, and yeah, obviously situations were, were reused a lot. So uh, which generation or character did, did you feel, um, I don't want to say most affectionate toward because it's 
given some of the things that happened in this book that's weird but like which which one did you like the most as, I mean I I like I said I genuinely when I started reading this book like I latched on to Jose Arcadio Buendia just because of his kind of yeah. inquisitive mind and the early sort of ideas and this sort of imaginative scope and then a lot of that shifted to Emiliano Buendia the uh-huh. the colonel and kind of everything with that and the exploits once we got past the second generation I was very very detached from the characters at that point it seemed like i was like okay i get what this is doing but i don't know in my in my mind it didn't make for very engaging like it it, it didn't latch itself into my mind and, yep. and make me want to pour through these pages if this were a book that i was reading on my own without sort of this podcast as a as a a backup for yeah desire for completion i could have definitely found myself sort of checking out and maybe putting this aside and, and not necessarily for sure. But that's, that's the beauty of the podcast sure. is that you had to, we finish have to the do book it because you yeah. had to look me in and the I'm eye glad I, I'm glad I did. Um, as I have been with some of the other titles that we've read that are maybe, yeah. you know, it's like, Oh man, if I'm just reading this on my own, I would have put this down long ago. But again, I, I, this book, I appreciate it in a lot of ways in a lot of the, you know, the ways that it sort of intermingles kind of, uh, politics, you know, they, this isn't just a, a story of, um, you know, a family and its exploits, although it sometimes sure. it feels like it, it's just kind of like a chronological, you know, so and so and so and so got married and then, you know, they had yeah. a kid and all it, it has that element to it. But, you know, a lot of the underpinnings, it's sort of political and religious and sexual a lot in this book, although yeah. uh, a lot of the, the sexual nature of this book you know, can be uncomfortable just because it's dealing a lot with sort All of, of it was incestual. Yeah. Most of it. Some of it wasn't. I mean, but the majority of it was kind of dealing with just like incestual or just sort of this huge age difference or this weird dynamic of, of power. Concubines and estranged yeah. wives. Or just, yeah, the idea wandering of kind trunks. of, yeah, or sort of all the Amaranta stuff with just using sex as sort of a, a tool of manipulation or just kind of the, when you get to sort of the remedios things, just the idea of that attraction sort of ruining people's lives, sex as a means of destruction. I don't know. Like that, that to me was the, the sole element out of this book that I found enjoyable, kind of the, the like confusing and sort of weird structure and, and weird, you know, approach that it had to some of these themes. Yeah. I, I think if you talk about the generations, like from an interest perspective, from, from me, if you had to rate the generations, no. So like if, if I were on a level of, if if I were going to like make this the most interesting possible, I think I would, I would from, uh, the colonel's generation, the original, uh, Jose Arcadio, um, I would skip, the, not to be confusing, but Jose Arcadio's son Arcadio that he had with Pilar, I would completely eliminate everything except for I, I did like uh, Remedios or Remedios because of of that. But basically, I think if you brought up the like Fernanda del Caprio and Aureliano Segundo's stuff up to like being the generation behind the Colonel, then you have a much more interesting story because like Fernanda was nuts. Like she was, she was crazy. And then, you know, there's even something to be said about this, the situation with, uh, Aramanta, Ursula and, um, 
and Gaston at the end. And well, I feel Aurelia like Arcadia had. That was I feel interesting. like Arcadia had like a really big role in kind of the sort of the control and political element of kind of that introduction into that whole phase. Because you know you yeah. kind of have the early yeah. phase of the book; they're very isolated, and then suddenly they kind of begin to get embroiled in a lot of this civil war and just this political uh, back and forth. And he's kind of a big force in introducing that area into the book. And yeah. so I found that, I found that interesting in, in, in terms of like its effect that it had on the, uh, on the town. But I definitely get what you're saying that it's, I don't know. It's, it's just very, it's just very dense Yes, for the sake of kind of, illuminating that point that it's like, yes, this is sort of human familial sort of existence. And I get a lot of that, that it's, you know, a lot of what I've sort of read in kind of analysis of this book, because, you know, I always like to turn to, to, to brighter minds for some things that I found maybe confusing. And it's a lot of, is just kind of the sort of this raw familial, I don't know, just how it relates to, I guess our own sort of, survival of yeah. our familial thing. And, and the only thing that I could really compare it to that we read would, would have been sound in the fury in in terms of kind of how that family broke down over the sure. course of however sure. many generations. Whereas this one wasn't necessarily families breaking down over the course of generations. Cause as you saw when you got more removed, hell, even the, you know, when you got to like the, the fifth generation and, you know, like meme and them where they kind of seemingly lived yeah. better lives where it wasn't necessarily this natural degeneration where it was more so you kind of had cycles within these generations right. among specific Things people would be where bad, it's like somebody would come in and rejuvenate sure the and, way that like that it was kind of your namesake you kind of saw that playing out right throughout you know your own little generation where it was necessary it wasn't necessarily like a uh you know disintegration other than the fact that you know everyone got killed because of a banana plantation and you know endless rains and eventually the destruction of the town but um yeah so i found that a little bit more interesting that it wasn't necessarily because you would think in a tale like this where it's like okay we're talking about this family generation and at the end everyone is dead and the town is gone so you would think it's like okay well let's hear about this like natural you know decline i guess and it, it wasn't yeah. really it, it didn't really happen that way it was more so like every generation was fucking weird and had yeah. all sorts of different fuck-ups and then there were these like little moments little kind of silver linings and just the ideas amongst each of them that kind of i don't know gave each little generation life although i will say like i said past the third one it it, it just became confusing mm-hmm. From a, a connection standpoint, like, okay, if I'm trying to think back to this event and, and who it relates to, it's it's tough when all the characters are, yeah, yeah, you know, have the same four or five names. I agree. You know, I, I think it was interesting. I just thought of this, you know, Ursula, uh, very, very early on had, you know, referenced the sort of incest and the pigtail. Um, that was why she wouldn't, you know, sleep with uh, Jose Arcadia Buendia at the beginning, right? Because she yeah. was she was afraid that they were going to have pigtailed children. Right? They're first cousins. So the, the implication, yeah, but the implication is like this, maybe not within that family, but you know, or actually, yeah, first cousin that would have been within the family. Um, that there is this sort of like you know cyclical thing, even outside the bounds of this story, that has happened to the point where there are like you know either experiences or or a uh, a myth or, or whatever um, about you know this stuff. So it really goes well beyond, you know, the piece of, of, of time that we see. But um, 
speaking of uh, of of Ursula, so you had kind of, you had a lot of different mother figures. Okay. Um, and I wondered between, uh, well, I pick pick any of them, but I was thinking, kind of the the big ones were uh, the original Ursula, um, uh, Fernanda, of course, um, and then. Those were kind of the two main ones. Well, Pilar, although oh, not yeah, she was immediately she, yeah. She did okay, kind of we'll fill throw, in a, fill in a little bit of that weird mother slash yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll throw her in there. Sexual. Which which of of those would you want to be your mother? Uh, probably Ursula. I mean, I think that that's uh, you know she's kind of the mainstay throughout the 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 book really in terms of just kind of that whole grounded. Yeah, figure that sort of tries to make things work. You know, you have Jose Arcadia kind of off doing his crazy things and then eventually going crazy. And then you have yeah. all of the the sons and daughters sort of all over the place, really. But the entirety kind of the central figure of just sort of consistency throughout the generations. And I mean, she lives to be what, like 140, 130, something. Yeah, like that. she that's I would say, Ursa, I, I, would I, would say I would have picked her too. like. Fernanda to me, like that was just painful. Like her, like boarding up the house and her, like unnecessary traditions and like yeah, this this weird fixation that she was going to be queen. Which you know, I've I, I say I will or I should, but I won't. Um, I want to go back and and try to understand like that whole concept. Like, mm-hmm. how did she ever come to that? Because I mean, her parents were we're having to sell things off to like, you know, fund things. So sure. like, you know, they were not necessarily in a position to like pay a dowry or something, you know, which I guess is why she, she ended up, you know, with them at the end of the day anyway. But she, she was exhausting. I can't even imagine having a mother like that. Like, no, yeah. you can't go play outside. There is cancer in the sun. Well, okay. Like, that's the kind of woman she was. Yeah. But then, and then like, you have her, Pilar, yeah. who kind of fills this, like, Oedipus role. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're, yeah, you're coming on to me? All right. I guess we could make this, this happen. Like, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was deeply uncomfortable. But, you know, that's, I guess that's really the, one of the biggest, you know, things throughout this, this whole book, right? Is like, um, sort of inappropriate fixation is, you know, a repeated theme. So like, you know, if you think about, uh, Jose Arcadio Buendia, his fixation on the things that the gypsies would bring, um, you know, in the beginning, the, uh, magnets and then the, the magnifying glass and then that's like an astrolabe and yeah. then eventually ice, but, and then, yeah. And then there was the alchemy stuff too, yeah. which, which, you know, he ruined his wife's fortune. Like, got it stuck to the the bucket or whatever but any rate like it's it it seems like that's sort of an illusion for you know the the like inappropriate fixation on like other you know people right whether yeah. that's somebody that's not worthy of your family's like status or somebody within your own family uh, like th- these things always seem to to come to ruin at least for the people involved. Um, at some point and then, you know, usually their, their kids are fine despite it. And then, uh, they repeat their parents' mistakes and, you know, it's in some way 
and it's all back to the shitter. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you use the word obsession because one of the things that I was thinking about kind of from a, a question standpoint was, you know, the title of the book is 100 Years of Solitude. And so yeah. obviously solitude is kind of a big, plays a big role in this, whether you're mm-hmm. talking about sort of the town of Macondo and kind of how it's isolated or whether you're talking about the idea of like solitude, you're just kind of being secluded yeah. um, by uh, obsession or by just sort of ideas or just sort of where you live. You know, you see various examples of this throughout there, whether it's the Jose Arcadios that are kind of obsessed with the idea of, you know, alchemy or, or invention or making goldfish. I guess that was more yeah, of a, a really but yeah. Um, or just, yeah, the, the isolation that you see amongst the characters kind of, was it, uh, was it Rebecca that kind of isolated herself off that people didn't even know she was alive? Yeah. 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 Rebecca. So just, sort of the idea of of solitude as 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 isolation beyond just sort of like physical isolation mm-hmm. as as sort of an obsessive desire towards something and you see that a lot too with I guess the remedios kind of the the solitude the all the people yeah. they had the obsessive sort of you know I, they sexual desire or romantic desire that sort of led them to their downfall and demise just mm-hmm. this idea of of solitude that's you know pretty heavy in the title just the question that I had was kind of what, I don't know, what would you ever ascribe to yourself? Like, did you ever have a moment where you're reading this and you kind of could like relate to a moment where you've had sort of that self-imposed solitude, whether it's through uh, mm. a curious, like a like an obsession, whether it's a professional, whether it's sort of this like personal, whether it's a piece of work, whether it's another person for per chance, you know, whether it's through kind of desire or anything like that. Cause that's something that I could relate yeah. to because I, I think I'll, I'll go first while you kind of mold that idea. Over. Okay. Just, yeah. That's a heavy one. Yeah. Just, I mean, like I, I think one of my, uh, one of my biggest kind of personality traits is when I'm, when I find myself really fascinated by something or when I find myself like really engaged or, or sort of energetic about something, I find that I often will become really, really sort of hyper-focused on that to the point where I neglect a lot of other things. And I think sure, that's, sure. I think that's, that's a trait in a lot of human beings, obviously is, you know, you do have an extraordinary propensity for that. Yeah. I've noticed that. I, yeah, no, absolutely. If, if there's something that, it, that I'm very like hyper-focused on in the moment, whether it's a project that I'm working on or whether it's like something that I find interesting, whether mm-hmm. it's a book or a movie or a game or a TV show or something, you know, yeah. we binge a TV show to where it's like, I can't hang out with my friends. <laughs> or whatever. I got to binge this, this idea of like solitude as yeah. not, as not this like being alone, but just the idea of kind of this overwhelming pull, this obsession with something that it, that it kind of forcibly isolates you from everything else in your mind and in your world. And, and I can, I can definitely think of instances in that in my life, whether it's, you know, those first months or a few, you know, people that maybe you get in a relationship and it's like, it's, you can't think about anything else in the world. Like, I think that that's a very, that's a very potent example in my own life where I've, yeah, I've been in relationships and, you know, having met someone and been in that and you're just like, oh my God, I want nothing else in my world right now, but to kind of occupy right. this space and this right. thought and this mind. And, and I've seen that as well, you know, kind of with, with things that have caught my interest, whether it's as dumb as it sounds, you know, like a TV show, if it's something that sure. strikes a chord with you and you really just kind of want to get absorbed in it, that's yeah. sort of the feeling that you get is kind of, you know, exhilarating but at the same time you kind of have this sort of again isolation isolating effect because of it that it's 
you know, not necessarily a positive thing, but I just think that it's interesting that kind of that throughout the course of the book that you see that you see those representations of Mm -hmm. solitude, not just someone being alone, not just the city being isolated, not just people being lonely or, or running away and living, you know, in the swamp by themselves or something like that, but just because of their fixations that they isolate themselves from, you know, kind of their other aspects of their reality. Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, there, there's a ton of like different elements of, of solitude. And I think you hit on a lot of them. I think for me personally, um, you know, like perfect example, like you and I lived together in college yeah. and with like what, four, th- three other guys, three other right? people. There were five yeah. of us. Oh God, the man. And yeah. And so I had started dating somebody uh, like really shortly before I think we all moved in together. And this was in what I would call our formative years in, in college. Fair right? enough. And like I was I was a ghost for a, like after a few months of, of living there, maybe not even a few months. And yeah, so like I, I when I was younger, um, had this like very uh, like pervasive like fixation that I had to like focus my time on an attention on relationships. Um, and I, I, I don't looking back on it, know like how I spent my time. Yeah. Like on those things. I, I think a lot of it was just, you know, sort of just waiting around for, I, I don't know. I mean like, you know, having, having been with, with my wife for the last uh, five years now, like I realized that it doesn't necessarily take like taking away from other things in your life to like make a relationship work and maybe it's just sort of like a, a a thing of being younger. It's, you know, I don't know, but that was, that was something. And not only like that one relationship, but there was, you know, one before that there was, you know, several after that it was like the same thing. I, you know, the same way kind of in, in my youth, I think we're very similar in that sort of approach that whenever you kind of get into that situation in your mind, you think it's like, I have to throw everything in this. This is going to be perfect. I have to sort of, put all of this effort and you know in a lot of ways it ends up sort of being counterintuitive or counterproductive to kind of the things that you yeah that you end sure. up really wanting you get burned out you know if you spend enough time or you you spend you know all of your waking energy or, or thoughts on this like one thing it will eventually you know it can lead you to kind of resent that if you exactly if you sort of get so detached from other things that you you know maybe don't i don't know don't feel happy or as yeah. fulfilled in that so well life life observation uh in in a metaphor um you know it's like it's like if you ever tried to to build a campfire right you have a certain amount of of wood um to throw on the fire until you probably go through it a few times you don't realize like you know you don't just throw all the wood on it right sure like you've got to have some space you have to be measured to let, let things let things breathe make sure you've got enough you know, fuel to, to make it through the weekend or the night or, or whatever. And, you know, I remember being a kid and, you know, you throw every fucking tree branch you could find on that sure. thing. You know, you, you stuff it full of newspaper, you light it on fire and, you know, the it biggest just, log it just possible because yeah. you think, yeah, this will burn forever. Exactly. And it's like, no, you smothered it because you didn't allow that's, it time to grow up to that. That's exactly sure. it. And it's, you know, it's, it's the same, it's the same in relationships. I think it's just something you've got to like try to build up and burn and, and, you know, what's, you realize that you know things will catch for a second and then burn out pretty quickly, or you run out of wood. No pun intended. <laughs> wow. Uh, hey, this was a second. Never, that was never I, been I, a I personal could, problem. I could, for I me. could make a comment yeah. like that, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I, I think that uh, I, I think it's it's pretty similar. But yeah, 
I think for me, like the the solitude part of this book really just came down to um, people's own sort of like internal conquests for whatever it is that they they were doing at the time, right? So like, I think the colonel is probably the most pervasive example for yes. me because like, you know, he had, uh, he, he ran off and he was, did he run off and be the sailor? Or was that, Jose? that was Jose. No, that was Jose. So, so he, um, he had his 32 wars, right? And yeah. then he had the making the goldfish for years and years and years after that. Right. And, you know, I think that's, that's just a guy who, um, you know, fixated on, on certain things and never like never escaped those after he sort of set out on a path. And, you know, the same is, is true of all the relationships uh, in this book. You know, I, I was I was kind of hoping that, like, Ursula to me was one of the most, like, quietly dynamic characters. Mm-hmm. And, like, before we got to her dying, um, the first time they mentioned she was over 100 years old, I was like, oh, maybe this whole book is just really about, like, her experience, like, watching these generations grow up. Yeah. And I was kind of disappointed it wasn't because, like, I think of everybody else she was the only person that was sort of fixated on like the family unit. Yeah. And it's, it, the house, she was, she like, was one of the few of, people that didn't have this like overwhelming obsession with their own kind of, like you said, yeah. a personal conquest. And that was, that was what made her, I think a more, I don't know, a character that I actually cared about. Yeah. Uh, not only because she spanned such a long period of time, but um, for, I mean, for that reason, cause you know, as much as you want to identify with flawed characters, cause I think that inevitably, people identify better with flawed characters because they see a lot of their own traits in those characters and they can kind of humanize them a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, she just kind of was the the underpinning, sort of the underlying life to the story. I agree. Um, and the, the thing that, that struck me was that she was also kind of the only parent. I mean, Fernanda tried to... Um, in in her own you know sort of overprotective overbearing sure. kind of way, so I guess those two were kind of the only ones that acted like parents, right? Sure. Like you had these bastard kids whose you know one one parent or the other sort of didn't care, um, and you know never never came around or or never interjected that you know they were their parent or great grandparent or grandparent whatever it was, um, you know. So you really. You just, it's, just, it's a story about shitty parents. Like it, when it, when you <laughs> kind of, yeah, like you could boil it down that way too. Um, and Ursula was shitty in her own way, you know, with, with all of her, um, you know, sort of, uh, mythological is the word that comes to mind, but that's not, uh, like superstitious kind of, sure. kind of way of describing everything. And then, like I said, Fernando was just a, she was just a, a head case from, from the beginning. Um, but yeah, I, 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 th- I think if I were doing the summary this week, I would have just said, this is a book about shitty parents. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that's a little bit oversimplifying it, but it's way oversimplifying it's, but it's it. something that you can at least take, you can hear and go, okay, yeah, I can take that from this book. So yeah, I mean, it's stuff like that, that that's why I say whenever I read this book, I appreciated it more so than I necessarily enjoyed it because I do like thinking about that. I do like sort of going, Oh, that's interesting. Kind of their view on solitude because it's a very key sort of that the two things that stood out to me in the book a was solitude b was time and just sort of the 
the cyclical nature and 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 within time was kind of the way that they were named. That was sort of a big like, hey, we're we're I'm putting it out here even more so kind of the repetitiousness of of these generations based on their names that they're kind of doomed yep. to the same sort of a flawed characteristics, the same sort of, you know, bad personalities. And and you see that throughout the kind of Jose Arcadios and the Arcadios and the Aurelianos. So my yeah. other thing that I had a question was, you know, there were kind of two distinct ideas, you know, in, in how they personified Aurelianos and Jose Arcadios. Yeah. So real quick, just off the top, are you a Jose Arcadio or are you an Aureliano? Uh, or how would you, what would you say are, what would you say are the sort of, I know I'm putting you on the spot again, but yeah, I, and I can go kind of with my own thoughts on this first to give you time to think about it for a sec, but kind of if you had to personify Jose Arcadio and Aureliano, and I know, again, like you said, it kind of gets confusing whenever you have the twins, um, but it stays pretty consistent with sort of their their personality traits and kind of what it is about them yeah. that you think. Um, so I, th- so yeah, the, the, the twins are getting, con- are, are kind of confusing in a way. And, and the whole time, like, it's kind of confusing. But I, I for I, I, me, the thing is, it, it seems like it's kind of, you have these two sort of, uh, not necessarily opposite personalities, but different sort of distinct personalities. And then you right. have kind of the Jose Arcadios that are more sort of solitary, that are more, you know, impunctuous, they're more impulsive, they're kind of the strong physically. And then you have kind of the Rilianos, who you see as kind of like the more ideologues, the guys who are kind of, you know, yeah, enigmatic and, and sort of, but, the, but like I said, you kind of get a play with that with the twins too, when you sort of see sort of, cause the, it was Aureliano Segundo that was throwing the big parties and stuff. Right. Yeah. I remember they see like, I, I sort of like, you know me, I like to have a, a, a good party, like people over all the time. Like, so I, I feel like I sort of, find myself on that side of the fence but wasn't he supposed to, was didn't he have the personality of an arcadio am i misremembering that yeah i think that was was that the swap between the two i don't know yeah though th- that was the generation that swapped sure but i was trying so to remember I think, if they swapped personalities i think that's i think that was a, that was what it was as well too because the physical traits were different about them yeah them you had seen in previous ones but I don't know. I mean, it's 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 hard. Like, I wouldn't be the guy that like went off to war, and I've never mm-hmm. been uh, the kind of person that would like just go sail around and then come home and like claim my woman, <laughs> like you know, yeah, who sure. was who was my ostensibly my sister, and then take land from a bunch of people and you know whatever whatever. I don't know. I that's I would want to be an Aureliano. But I don't think that I am. That's my answer. Oh, okay. Fair enough. What, yeah, is, your, I, what is your answer? I mean, I think that I think it's difficult to pick one side or the other. I think there are some traits about them that you can identify with and some with the other. And I think that's the point is that in a normal, you know, normally you don't see such defined characteristics, sure. I guess, especially just by name. Um, but yeah, I, I could definitely see a lot of traits with, with either of them. But I would kind of lean more towards an Aureliano, I think, than a Jose Arcadio. Okay. In some aspects. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's, I mean, that was that was a bullshit question, right? Like, yeah, I'm kind of in the middle. Which, which one are you? That was well, a which great one question. Are you? was a bullshit answer. Which one are you, Jacob? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Whatever. I'm in the fucking middle. I just wanted to make you answer it. 
No, I mean the whole bigger thing. The whole bigger thing with the names and the personalities. Yeah. And I guess this is my last kind of question, and and I don't know kind of what else you have or if we have I've, something I've similar a, on this. I think a big one. Okay. It's just sort of this idea of of time. I know that we've talked about it a mm-hmm. lot, and we, we even discussed this before the show, just kind of how we've seemingly gravitated towards books that inherently have time as sort of a big um, theme to mm-hmm. them. And and, and I, I know that that's a pretty loose way of saying it, because yeah. all stories, I mean, really, if you're telling a story, there's a progression of time. Typically, yeah. time plays a big role. I mean, as human beings, time is at the forefront of our thought in pretty much every category. You know, yeah. what am I going to do today? What do I, how much time do I have left to do this? What do I need to, you know, yep. they, that it plays a big role. And so obviously, when we're telling stories that it's going to play a big role in that, um, but I think this one was interesting because of the uh, the nonlinear uh, nature of it, because it's it's it very much is in the is in the camp of history is more of a, a determining factor for kind of the things that that happen, that we're not on this sort of progressive plane of time that we very much sort of have these, um, you know, reacting and, and sort of inescapable repetition of things throughout generations, throughout different groups of, you know, uh, I guess in the book, it would be different generations, but I guess for us, it would be different peoples and different, you know, societies and just kind of how that relates to our own perception of, of history and what that means for us going forward in time. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of where, where are you? Are you a, are you a sort of a time cyclicalist? Do you think that cyclicalist, 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 uh, do you do you kind of feel that that more so that we we have these sort of cycles as as human beings based on your understanding, not yeah. I guess necessarily uh, you know a scientific. We're not we're not trying to to approach it from like a scientific standpoint or a, a truly factual historical standpoint, but just more so like you know we're we're here to talk about guts, to talk about kind of your feeling yeah. and, and and throughout the experiences that you've had in your life and maybe the way that you view time in general. Do you stand more on the you see time as sort of this natural progression thing, or do you see it as more of a cyclical thing? So I think when, when you think about time, like as a macro, like, you know, I, I do think that it, that it's cyclical, whether that's, you know, uh, talking about, you know, just nature or societies or, uh, you know, politics, entertainment, like whatever. I think that there are, there's a very cyclical nature to, that sort of thing. Like, I don't think you ever really progress past certain issues that those or ideas, those things just manifest themselves in different ways. When you talk about like generations, like in a family or something like this, you know, I think that, I think that we are all predisposed to the cyclical nature of time. Right. Um, you know, when you talk about, um, so my my wife works at a at a, a charter school. I think I've mentioned it before, um, and a lot of these kids um, are you know sons and daughters of immigrants. Some of them are undocumented, um, and you know if if you talk to them, uh, you know you talk to their parents, they have the same experiences as their parents or their grandparents um, or their great grandparents. Uh, the same sort of problems, um, you know, whether it's dealing with society or finances or whatever, uh, you know, are, are always, you know, sort of present because they never did anything 
um, to sort of get out of that. And, you know, I think the same thing, like we talk about society, like race relations, right? Like we're in a cyclical nature of like suppressing certain types of people in this country, you know, to a certain degree. It's, sure. it's not changed. to get too terribly. No, political, but, but, but it's yeah. it, it has it, it's changed the way that the, that the conversation has had and the things that we oppress people. You know, we're not uh, we're not, you know, putting people in chains and making them, you know, do hard labor. But, you know, there, there are other things that still happen. Um, you know, and racism and, and, and all of that stuff. But, you know, like those kids last night at, at graduation, like they've done something to break out of the cyclical nature of the generations before them. Right. And so, like, I think that you can um, you can sort of straighten out the, your your timeline by, you know, taking certain actions and, you know, to kind of bring it back to this book, like th- this family at any point could have left and stayed out of Macondo you know, once once they became wealthy, and that might have changed things, right? They might have, if if uh, what's her face, uh, Aramanta Ursula had stayed in Europe, um, that might have changed the outcome of, of her family in the long term, right? But she came back, and and uh, Gaston came back with her, and whatever, and then she fell victim to you know sort of the same cyclical nature of of her family. So, sure. you know, I I, I do, I think. Again, we are all predisposed to a cyclical nature of time unless we do something typically very explicit to change it. Okay. What I do think, you think? I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of in the same uh, the same ballpark that I think that a lot of what we do in terms of kind of how we approach the future is very just dependent upon how we've dealt with things in the past. And I think that lends itself to a more cyclical nature because it's sure. easier I think it's easier, and I think in some ways it's effective and and actually pragmatic to kind of draw upon things that we've done to overcome, you know, problems oh, yeah. or, or to sort of adapt and, and to change. I mean, we have, you know, you know, millennia now of of human existence, and not even just from I guess human existence, just sort of, not not even on that scope, but just in a personal, you know, in in an individual's life, you know, you're going to draw on past experiences in order to sort of. Uh, direct how you approach future things. And I sure. think that, that that nature of being a human being of, of that is how you tend to default to dealing with things, right. To, yeah. to overcoming new obstacles and things that mm-hmm. you tend to default to. All right. Well, how did I adapt to something like this similar in the past? It leads yep. to this sort of, to, to that nature of how you view things of where you have, you have growth and challenge and decline and challenge and growth and challenge and decline. And it becomes this whole cyclical nature throughout your life. And it's not, it's not just like this, like, you know, I start and I'm here and suddenly everything is just on a natural progression or or decline or just a straight line throughout the course of your life. It's very different for, for individuals. Nobody has ever kind of experienced just this constant progression or decline, or there's always these, these sort of cycles of change, of of progress, of of regression, of change, of order, of chaos, right? So yep. I think that, yeah, I think that time, time as an idea on a grand scale. If you're looking at the idea of time separate from human behavior, obviously, I think it's a it's a linear progression. I don't think that there's actually like a maybe a cyclical nature of this, and this might be something that you would debate with, you know physicists or, or people that actually yeah, study, yeah. you know, time, time on a, like on the most right. extreme scale, but right. from a human experience, I think absolutely that human experience lends itself to sort of cyclical natures of time, just based on the way that we, that we approach, you know, challenges in our lives or that we approach even good things in our lives. Yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, I remember, you know, 
whenever I've had this fortune, you know, this is what I need to do to to make sure based on previous experiences to to keep the things happening for me. So, sure. sure. Yeah, I think I think it's within human nature to to have these sort of cyclical elements to the way that you you act in life. And I think that that can be both a positive and a negative because one, I think it allows you to more readily um more readily overcome obstacles if you if you just looked at something as as a completely new experience like everything you're having is just a completely new experience you don't draw on anything that you've ever done to overcome that it's going to be a very painful and miserable experience because it's like every time that something new occurs in your life every time there's a challenge every time there's an obstacle an opportunity whatever you're having to devote all of this time and energy to create sort of this solution for yourself in your life that yeah that really, you know, there are people in every facet of the, you know, in any corner of the world and every facet of life that have dealt with these experiences that you can draw upon. Because not even, you know, as human beings, we don't even draw upon our own experiences. We draw upon experiences of strangers, experiences yeah. of friends, yeah. family, everyone. Yeah. And that influences it. So I think that, that that is a positive in that it 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 allows you as a human being to overcome obstacles and to, and to pursue things in a much more expedient way than if you just relied solely on, I'm in this moment. How am I going to get over this? I need to get mm-hmm. over this now. But at the same time, I think it 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 also can allow, you know, sort of that stifling effect where you you don't allow yourself to kind of open up to new ideas of overcoming obstacles. Maybe you become sure. so sort yeah. of you sure. become so entrenched in the idea of, well, this is how you have to get over it. I mean, this is what I've dealt with in the past and this is how we got over it and this is how I have to get over it. When the reality is, is, you know, maybe there is some other experience that gets you through that that threshold that gets you beyond that point. Okay. And so, yeah, I, I, I definitely think that from a human experience, time is is a cyclical is cyclical in nature. And I think that it's both a positive and negative. But, you know, I think that it's it's something that, you know, it adapts and it grows and it changes. And for better or worse, that's kind of human nature. Yeah, I, it makes sense to me. So my my last question and, you know, we really haven't talked about this as much as we should, I suppose. Um, but this book fits into a whole genre um, called magic realism okay. or magical realism, depending on, on who you talk to. And so, you know, really the hallmark of it is, you know, you, you have realistic situations um, with sort of these sprinklings of Fantasy. You know, some sort of magical element, sure. right? So like in this book, you know, you had the, the gypsies and the magic carpet is probably a great example, right? Like, right. I think that's one of those things that we should just, assume was was magic or uh remedios the the beauty getting just carried off whisked off to heaven by a breeze yeah yeah so like but at the same time i i had a weird feeling um about a few of the uh, the events that you know maybe this was something else right like latin culture especially is steeped in in like storytelling and superstition from from other generations so did you ever um struggle to sort of figure out like what was what was supposed to be magic and what was just sort of like embellishment i guess for lack of a better word or yeah just or maybe sort of it was not necessarily not necessarily taken as literal though it was more kind of metaphorical because i had that feeling sometimes where it's like the magical elements it wasn't actually magic i guess in a storytelling element it was more of a metaphor yeah um in a lot of ways but you know, it, the thing about the story is it doesn't really allude to that. It's kind of just told sort of if you read it at face value, it's like, right, here's magic that's happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, in a lot of those instances, it kind of just made me go like, hmm, this this does seem less so that it's, 
you know, there are elements where it's like, okay, this feels like it's just sort of a fantastical element added to the right. story. And then other elements where it's like, okay, this kind of seems like it's more metaphorical in its nature. And, the, and like I said previously, reading this book, you know, it's the first book that I've like, you know, we've been reading and I went to bed. I actually had like a dream <laughs> about it, you know, in Macondo. And, I, you know, yeah. just kind of, and that sort of kind of made me feel like I understood a little bit more of how this I don't know the story sort of flowed because it was very dreamlike uh, yeah. in a storytelling where it, like like you'd said earlier it's very breathless. Yes. And you know I kind of when I when I think of how I dream I kind of dream in the same way it's very just it's just sort of a flowing thing there's right. no there's no like fragmented segments or or you know kind of you know traditional arcs of of storytelling or whatever it's just yeah. your your mind kind of just unconsciously just projecting all of this stuff and and there are elements there that it's like eh, you know suspend your disbelief you can fly in this for some reason or yeah. you know or maybe you know if you look into it it's it's metaphorical but yeah i you know i it, i don't know i i think a lot of it to me was just just magic <laughs> so well here, here so when we were talking right before we started recording yeah um this this thought kind of came to mind um so you know you have the the text of Meliquatus, right? Sure. Um, and I, I know that I'm butchering the pronunciation of these things. I wrote it down, a phonetical. Hold on. And it's probably going to be even more. Melchiages. Melchiages. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's just sometimes, you know, you, you misread something and then sure. that just sticks in your yeah. head. Unfortunately. Um, but at any rate, so... We are not, we, we, we we have, not native Spanish. No, not at all. Or Portuguese. I, can, I think Melquiades is actually, like when I was looking it up for yeah, its pronunciation, yeah. it's like Brazilian or Portuguese in origin. So we, we have his text that, you know, ostensibly predict the future of the family, yeah. right? Which you could even argue is the book itself, right? Like that's, if, if you step back and think about it, which I guess would kind of be problematic because the city got destroyed at the end and we still have the book in front of us and we can read the account. Maybe it's not, but you could, you could make the argument that it is right. Yeah. And then I, I wondered as we were, we were talking earlier, um, you know, you have, you have the, uh, tarot cards with, uh, Pilar, right. And you know, if you've, if you've ever, uh, spent time around, you know, people who try to make predictions, um, you know, whether they're, the magician type or, you know, a, a fortune teller or something, um, or even horoscopes for that matter. Like they tend to be, um, general enough that they are true. Um, even if they're not, you know, like something that, that is actually actionable. Right. Sure. Um, and you know, like you're, you're going to have good fortune this week could be interpreted any number of ways. You could have dinner that you like, uh, I, I don't know, like whatever. Right. So, um, I kind of wondered if assuming this text was, uh, his, his predictions, I wondered if some of the elements of magic were sort of his way of saying like, maybe I wasn't present for, for this sort mm. of thing. So like, here's like Remedios, the beauty, like drifting off, which is, you know, could be like an allegory for, you know, she died in a natural way or, sure. you know, like, mm. I, I, you know, whatever. And I just sort of wondered if it was sort of that like fortune telling sort of trick of, of being general or using magic as a way of, you know, just explaining away something that wasn't like 
tangible. Sure. Like, I thoughts mean, about I, that? Yeah, I thought, I mean, the magic in the book, I think, works as a device to kind of, I don't know, to add to the story in a way that would be very difficult to do in kind of a traditional, if you have these traditional constraints, okay, this is in the real world. Yeah. It's very difficult to kind of tell as sort of compelling a narrative as you can whenever you allow for these extremes to happen for these sort of visual things. I mean, it, it's yeah. kind of like, uh, you know, it, to me, this feels, it's a very, yeah, I, I forget what episode, I guess it was so much where we talked about kind of like our, our favorite type of art or, yeah. or maybe our favorite yeah. artists. And I had mentioned that like, I, I really like Dali and surrealism mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and that, and this book very much feels like it's kind of, that's it's sort of that type of 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 production where yep. it's 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 grounded somewhat in reality and that you can make out the shapes and the forms and the ideas and the sure. people and all this but it allows for this sort of expansion beyond you know what you would see as conceivable or what you would see as yeah. possible to allow for this sort of story to have more of a i don't know to have more of an idea to it less than sort of you know I mean, if if we take out the magical elements, it's just like chronologically, like, all right, and they had so-and-so, oh, yeah. and they had so-and-so. It allows for sort of whatever idea you're trying to convey to be depicted, I don't know, maybe you could say it allows for more beauty in the description just sure, because, sure. you know, this, this type of story can definitely lend itself to, uh, or, you know, you could definitely see it just being dull. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's really, it's, you know, it's just sort of, kind of dull events with some there are some non you know there's there are some interesting things that happen naturally in the book but you know a story like this you can naturally see it as like okay it's just these people that are living in their generations and kind of their exploits you know that doesn't that doesn't maybe necessarily lend itself to such you know beautiful imagery that you know kind of invoke feeling from people but whenever you add this element the sort of magical mysticism to it and it sort of is a central idea within the book that it's like you know, at the end, when you finally come to this realization that they've tried for generations to decipher these texts, that this has kind of just been a core thing looming yeah. in the background, um, that when they finally do, they see that it's sort of encompasses their whole world. It's their whole world. It's their reality. Right. And right. that, you know, that's, I find that kind of fascinating that they use magic as a device to, I say they, he uses yeah. magic as a device kind of in, in his writing to add this sort of this mystical beauty element and, and maybe even kind of like a degree of, of religiousness to it because religion, although not a huge, huge thing in the book, it does play some, some part in it and some of the character motivations and, and all that. And so it kind of adds this whole, you know, mystical element because at the heart of, I guess, human experience, whether you're religious or not, or, or I guess whether you're religious in a sense of organized religion when I think of religion, I think of the idea of the kind of the unknown. For me personally, I'm not a I'm not a, like an organized religion. I wouldn't be a denomination, but the idea of religion to me is just sort of this idea of the unknown, the the sort of the things that that you know, not unexplained, but kind of the little nuances in your life that are not necessarily of of you know our world in a sense of like behavior or just interactions it always you know whenever you interact with other people there's always kind of this element of connectivity or element of you know if you've ever like sat down with someone you felt like you really connected with them or something as though it was kind of like that magical experience something like that like that to me the idea of like just this sort of nebulous 
religious sort of experience or whatever that 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 this book kind of uses magic in that in that form to to bring that into this book. Yeah, you know, I think I think it's a it's a fascinating thing and you know, like I said at the beginning, like it's it's part of of Latin culture. Um, you know, and and actually I just thought of uh I took this whole class in college called Voodoo Literature, and okay. it's it's that a, sounds fun, dude. It was it was a phenomenal class, um, and it, and that sort of is is interesting too because you have sort of the you know Voodoo is basically a, a a blending of these sort of traditional Afro Caribbean religions and and Catholicism, and you yep. know you sort of get these this blending of of um, sort of you know magic and uh, you know um, sort of like ceremonies and then, you know, just the overarching beliefs of Catholicism and, you know, kind of the fire and brimstone. But yeah, there, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff out there that has these types of elements. Uh, matter of fact, Percival Everett had a story, one of my favorites called The Fix, I think, um, you know, that's very much in this vein. I know uh, Toni Morrison has has written a few books um, that, that would fall under this. And then, you know, there are a lot of other uh, things that that Gabriel Garcia Marquez has has written um, that uh, that are right up this alley too. So you know if this is something that that interests people, um, there, Google it. There are tons and tons and tons of of good things out there. I was uh, I have uh, Kelly Link has a has a book um, that I've got on my shelf called Magic for Beginners. That's, uh, we'll come around I, some stuff. It's, uh, it's there's a lot of cool stuff. Like I like I said previously with this book, and we'll, we'll get into our ratings here in a second. I appreciate this book, and it's it's a book that I would recommend to certain people. Um, but again, for me, when I the the most important thing for me that when I get out when I take a book and I want to get at something out of it for reading, um, is that sort of connectivity yeah. to the people and the places and the things that are happening. And I didn't necessarily feel it for this book, so it's not necessarily okay. my bag. But I appreciate it for all the reasons that I've expounded. I yeah, feel like yeah. I've been very open so far, kind of in our in our discussion about. I, I appreciate a lot of the elements of this book and the themes, especially and kind yep. of the the artistic approach to this. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would I would certainly be open to exploring more within that kind of range, within that sort of magical realism, because I like that. I think it I think it allows for a device in storytelling that maybe you can't necessarily get from just a traditional approach. And I think that maybe it would work better for me as a reader in a more traditional sort of character driven story, sort of a more kind of compact and focused idea. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's, let's get into our ratings. Let's get into the ratings. You can go first. I will, I will go first. Uh, and I will definitively say that I will put this on my top shelf. Okay. And, Whereabouts? uh, I'll stick it between, uh, it's gonna get Between, tough when we're like thirty episodes in and you're trying to think of all the books. We're gonna need a visual aid. You know, I'm I'm definitely have intentions to build a chart. I'm gonna say, uh, but after all the light, and just barely before so much blue. Okay. Final answer. Okay. Where, where you got it? Um, I'm not gonna put it on the top shelf, although I appreciate it, just because it's not something that I'm universally going to recommend to people, or that I'm, you know looking to immediately go back and reread like some of the other things that I put on the top shelf that isn't to take away from the book. Cause I would certainly recommend it to certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be a solid middle shelf for me. Okay. Uh, just based on that. Um, so, you know, kind of in the vein of, uh, of Hemingway where it's one of those things that I can appreciate the work, although yeah. it necessarily isn't something 
exactly for me, but I can certainly see people in my life that I would definitely recommend it to. So yeah. solid middle shelf for me. That isn't saying that it's a bad book. Obviously, if I'm keeping it, I sure, value sure, it sure. as a book. So I don't want people, you know, to to tweet us and say like, "How dare you?" Yeah, you know, it's yeah. A, it, you know, Nobel Prize. It's like, listen, it's not <laughs> a bad book. I've, I, I would hope that I've expounded on my thoughts that it's. I don't think it's a bad book at all. I'm just saying, I'm being subjective as yeah, as a reader, that's, and, that's, and that's the whole the whole point of this is I'm yeah. giving you my opinion and. And I, you know, I want to be consistent. I don't want to acclaim, you know, I don't want to say like, okay, well, I'll give this book a pass, even though I didn't enjoy it. I, I, it was, I appreciated it, but I didn't necessarily enjoy it. Fair enough. I, I think Solid that is middle shelf completely reasonable, completely reasonable. All right. Um, so let's, let's talk about next books. Um, we have effectively murdered an author uh, by well, our next selection. That's, that's too soon. I mean, it's really soon. Sure. So you picked it, so you... The power we build. Yeah, so we, we teased it last episode, but next episode uh, that we're going to be getting into, we'll be reading The Plot Against America by Philip Roth, recently uh, recently deceased... Uh, May rest in peace. ...author Philip Roth, but, you know, kind of a, kind of an iconic writer. I, you know, yeah. I kind of, whenever he passed, I, I went back and read some stuff about him. I did, you know, I'd, I've... I've heard of him. I've never read all too much of his work, but I didn't realize he was so much kind of an iconic, you know, mostly sort of, yep. I mean, he's, he's a Jewish writer. And so a lot of his work kind of is, is centered around sort of community and that, that idea. So he was kind of a big mainstay for that. So, you know, a big loss for that, but you know, we get to read his work. That's the great thing about being an author. You know, a lot yep. of the things that define your ideas, you know, get to live on a lot longer beyond you. So, so yeah, we'll be reading a plot against America, which uh, is sort of a, an alternate history fiction. Which I, I, yep. I always find those interesting, especially when they're kind of centered in sort of mid-century, mid-twentieth yeah. century of America, because that was a really big, you know, interesting time historically. That was, I think, there was so much radical change, both internationally and nationally, that that yeah. it, it's interesting to see these kind of like threads. Like, what if this happened? Let's see this thread play out. So it's it's kind of a cool what if. So we'll be getting into that. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. All right. So book after that. Book after that. This is my first hearing of it. So you're going to surprise me here. Yeah. Uh, it's to be determined. And here's why. Oh, my God. No, no, no. Hear me out. Hear me out. By the time this episode comes out, it's going to be on the webpage. People are going to be able to, to, to see on SoundCloud far in advance. But here's my plan. And this is not a cop out. I've been planning this for weeks. Okay. So I'm I'm traveling tomorrow, right? We're yes. going to five a little bit, five different countries. Spoiler alert: We record these a little bit of yeah. a little bit ahead of time well, to accommodate to accommodate this travel, mostly yeah. to accommodate this travel plan. We'll be a little bit more caught up in future. So, episodes. I'm going to to Scotland, uh, to Edinburgh specifically, London, Venice, uh, two places in Greece, two places in Croatia, and uh, Montenegro. So here's my plan. I'm going to go to a bookstore in a few of these places okay. and just ask somebody, give me something that that is local to you know either the country, the region, the city, whatever, that has to be read that somebody else you know in the United States may not recommend or like you know may not be something that that is well publicized over here. So we're gonna go international okay with, with episode i guess it'll be eight no nine nine sorry. that'll be episode nine yeah so that's that's my plan grab okay. something completely on a stranger's recommendation in a foreign place 
from something that we would not normally encounter on our own. All right, this could turn out really good or really bad. I mean, this this I'm, could I'm be another foundation, either. but uh, I hope not. I just got to find like a good bookstore and sure. like somebody who actually cares, not like a Barnes and Noble or something. Right, where right, right. Just going to drag me to the bestsellers. Be like, oh yeah, this this guy visited Edinburgh. Have you heard of Hedy, Harry Potter? Uh, which we should read one of those because I've never I've never read Harry Potter. But I read the first three when I was a kid. Okay, um, but I never really I don't know the series never really like sunk its claws into me beyond that. I was I was really big into the accelerated reader program in, in elementary, uh, so I always had to kind of assert my dominance over everyone else by my books yeah, read. I did uh, I did that as well. Uh, I swung for the fences and did uh, Les Miserables, which was like 52 points or something. Wow. Uh, and yeah, so it's like my wife's favorite like musical. Like she she loves to watch it. She sings it. Okay, that's not an uncommon thing. Uh, but I cannot do it because of that experience. I've never completely told her that story either. <laughs> I think oh, wow. about it. I just every time she's like, "Hey, you want to watch this?" I'm like, eh, "I've never, no. I've actually never read or watched or been to musical or anything for Les Misérables." So that's one of those things that personally don't recommend that, it. But that is just sort of a nebulous idea to me. All right. So uh, next episode, plot against America, Philip Roth. Uh, episode after TBD, TBD. will be uh, already known if you're looking at our SoundCloud. Sure. And of course, we're always open to suggestions if you if you want to hit us up on on the Twitters. On the Twitters, I know uh, we plugged it last week, bookshelf. so we're we're getting it out there. You know, if you just want to chat, you want to tell us how how wrong we are about we're one of the things. I can't too, wait for that. One of the, yeah, absolutely. I am so I am so on board with criticism because yeah. you know I I am not a I'm not a very you know shy person when it comes to to my opinion and and I respect other people who are of that same ilk and if they feel strongly about something that I would love to I would love to hear you know whatever yeah. whatever criticism good bad otherwise that they would have for kind of our thoughts on the book I think it's interesting or if you just I have agree. suggestions or anything like that so but I'm going to set this ground rule okay. I'm not going to have intellectual conversations with strangers so if you want to get into like a like like theoretical analysis like yeah. literary analysis of of the way that we That's like interpreted we things just go pound sand. Uh, <laughs> that's, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm not engaging you on that's that. A but fat if, block. If, if you want to say, like, hey, you have a stupid voice and I hate listening to you, but uh, looking forward to your next book, uh, I will probably respond to something. I feel like, like, like that. you're just asking for it with yeah. that. No, I'm, I'm fine with a little bit of that. All right. So uh, that is more than enough uh, on this on this episode. Uh, thank you for listening. Where's the off button?